Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Rates and Lanes with Rico Mohammed. This is the show where we improve your knowledge of the freight market, improve your bottom line, and improve the transportation industry as a whole. We're talking rates and lanes. Let's move on down the audio road. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I am your host, Rico Mohammed, coming to you live tonight. We are back in the saddle again. We will be having our resident legal expert chiming in with us here in just a few seconds. So if you have any legal questions from the road, any transportation law-related questions, any contract questions, any issues whatsoever by dealing with brokers, dealing with potential shippers, you can go ahead and press number one and get some free legal advice without having to pay a retainer. How good is that? Um, We're going to have Hank Seaton will be joining us here in just a few seconds. We have him on the line. But we're going to start off tonight's show in our traditional format and fashion by bringing you the latest from the USDA and try to point out some potential areas where you may be able to make some moves if you are working the spot market or if you are a person that is developing a customer base to try to give you some different ideas on potential customers that you might be able to seek out by utilizing some of this information as well. There is a link on the Rates and Lanes Facebook page to this report. It is a lot more in-depth. We just cover kind of the first bar graph situation on this report. But if you go to the Race and Lanes Facebook page, you can click on that link and go directly to the in-depth report. There's about five to six pages that comes on this report. Um, there's some rate information that is uh, detailed in the report, but we have to throw out a precautionary uh, disclaimer on that rate information that you get off of this particular report. Uh, there is no proper way of vetting that information, so therefore it's a little bit, uh, from from my experience and real-world experience of other people as well, that information is always a little bit, a, a lot higher, I'm not even going to say a little bit, it's a lot higher than what reality is actually, uh, seems to be the case for the reality, so you have to take that with a grain of salt, just understand that um, that the information that they give as far as the rate information uh, may be a little bit inflated, but the information that you can use that to your advantage here is to see where there may be potential for a load-to-truck ratio that will be in your favor. And that's what we're going to jump into right now, the uh, truck availability chart on the USDA Fruits and Vegetable Report. So if you are a person that hauls any type of produce, whether it be on, on a flatbed, Conestoga, um, reefer or even dry van, vending dry vans, this report has some relevance to you. There are shortages, in my, and on their chart of shortages, this means that there is a, um, a, a great opportunity to be had in these particular areas. Those areas that have a outright shortage is Idaho, Merrill County, Oregon, Upper Valley, Twin Falls, Burley District, Idaho, Minnesota, North Dakota, Red River Valley area, New York, uh, I think that's going to be upstate New York and Columbia Basin, Washington. 
all of those areas have a outright shortage of trucks. The other areas that are showing slight shortages of trucks in those areas is San Luis Valley, Colorado, Michigan, and Mexico crossing through Texas. And like I said, there is a much more in-depth portion to this report that you can go click on and get exactly what type of produce is even moving in those areas and uh, gives you some ideas on trying to, if you want to, go after some of those particular shippers that ship those produce. Uh, that gives you an opportunity to try to seek out some of those people in that area that may be needing your services. So with that being said, we're going to jump from the USDA report and jump right over into this week's DAT trend lines report. And this report is from January the 8th through January the 14th. Low board activity has increased, but low to truck ratios declined in the first full work week of the new year. Rates fell for vans, reefers, and flatbeds. Severe weather across the country also affected freight movement in many parts of the country. So let's jump in and take a more in-depth look at this report, starting out with dry vans. And we're going to look into the dry van demand and capacity report for the week of January 8th through the 14th. Truck postings were up 36% and low postings rose more gradually at 14% in the first full work week of the new year. The work to the, the low to truck ratio slipped by 16% down to 3.9, dropping from 4.7 loads per truck, which is still unseason, unseasonably high for dry vans. The national average van rate fell by $0.05 cents from a typical high. So let's take a look and also see this week, fuel prices dropped by 0.4 of a percentage point, dropping down to a national average of $2.59 for diesel. Looking in depth into the U.S. van rate report, the national dry van rate report on the spot market for January 8th through the 14th, van rate slipped by $0.05 cents lower last week, down to a uh, spot market average of $1.72 per mile only one cent below the December average. Outbound rates declined in many van markets, including Los Angeles, Atlanta, and Chicago. Taking a look across the country and regionally, starting out in the northeastern portion of the United States, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania being the representative city on the spot market, showing an average spot market rate of $1.75 per mile. Moving down into the southeastern portion of the United States, Atlanta, Georgia checks in, showing an average spot market rate of $1.90 per mile for dry vans. Jumping up into the midwestern portion of the United States, Chicago, Illinois checking in, showing an average spot market rate of $2.10 per mile. Moving down into the south central portion of the United States, Dallas, Texas checking in, showing average spot market rates at $1.57 per mile. And rounding out the report, out on the West Coast, the City of Angels, Los Angeles, California, checks in, showing the average spot market rate for dry vans coming in at $1.99 per mile. Let's jump over into the U.S. flatbed demand and capacity report 
for the week of January the 8th through the 14th. Flatbed load to truck ratios dipped slightly last week compared to the previous week. Last week, load postings increased 31% and truck postings increased 38%. That caused the load to truck ratio to dip 5% down to 27.1 loads per truck nationally. The national average flatbed rate edged downward 3 cents per mile compared to the previous week. So let's jump into the flatbed rate information and see exactly how those rates were performing. And we have the national average flatbed rate dipped 3 cents down to an average of $1.89 per mile last week. Even as volume begins to ramp up in the new year, so we're going to take a look around the country once again, starting out in the northeast. Harrisburg, Pennsylvania checking in, showing average spot market rates for flatbeds at $2.52 per mile. Atlanta, Georgia checks in once again, being the southeastern representative city. Spot market rates for flatbeds at $2.12 per mile. Moving into the Midwestern portion of the United States, Rock Island, Illinois, checking in, showing average spot market rates for flatbeds at $2.32 per mile. Down into the south central portion of the United States, Houston, Texas, checking in, showing average spot market rates at $2.02 per mile. Wrapping up the flatbed rate report for this week, out of the left, the left coast, Phoenix, Arizona checking in, the representative city showing average spot market rates for flatbeds at $1.77 per mile. And moving on to the reefer portion of the demand and capacity report from DAT Trend Lines for the week of the January 8th through the 14th, reefer load to truck ratio receded last week but, re but remains unseasonably high. Low postings increased 8%, but truck postings rose 27%, dropping the ratio 15% down to 9.1 loads per truck. The national average spot market rate for reefers dipped 3 cents per mile. So let's jump into the rate information for reefers for the week of January the 8th through the 14th. National average reefer rate dipped 3 cents last week but still unseasonably high at $2 per mile. Reefer rates jumped in Green Bay, but were lower in California. Taking a look around the country, Elizabeth, New Jersey, being the northeastern representative city, showing average spot market rates for reefers at $1.70 per mile. Moving down into the southeast portion of the United States, Lakeland, Florida, checking in, showing spot market rates for reefers at $1.38 per mile on average. Moving up into the Midwest, Green Bay, Wisconsin, showing a very strong $2.99 per mile for reefer rates on the spot market coming out of Green Bay, the Midwestern portion of the United States. Moving down into the South Central portion of the United States, McAllen, Texas checking in, showing average spot market rates of $2.05 per mile. And rounding out the report coming out of the West Coast, Fresno, California checking in, showing average spot market rates at $1.98 per mile. Once again, if you would like to have this report for your own pleasure, viewing pleasure, there is a link for it up in the Rates and Lanes Facebook page, Rates and Lanes with Rico Muhammad. You can go there 
click on that report and you can have them. There's a little bit more information on this report as well that we don't quite dip into on the podcast, but the report is right there. The link is there for your viewing pleasure as well. And rounding up before we bring our special guest on, uh, we like to try to keep you up to date on our bad and uh, ugly broker report. Last week we had a few people that made their debuts on the report, and we uh, have been a little derelict in our duty because we were on a little bit of a hiatus, and last week was our very first week back. And um, there were quite a few people that had made that list. So we want to try to keep you up to date and abreast as to what's going on. So going back, uh, and man, we got a, quite a few people that are added to the report this week, and it's going to—it looks like it's quite lengthy. Good God, um, yeah. Okay, so this week making their debut onto the list. Uh, think that they—we talked about this company last week as well. International Service Corporation. Their MC number is two one five eight nine three. FMCSA shows trust fund is canceled. On 12-11-16, truckstop.com has received reports of nearly $10,000 in unpaid carrier invoices from Ansonia credit data. This uh, broker is considered a very high risk. Once again, that MC number is 215-893. The next person on the list is World World Steel, Inc. This looks like a shipper. World Steel, Inc. This is a shipper. World Steel, Inc., Houston, Texas, no broker authority or bond. Truckstop.com has received notice of nearly $12,000 in unpaid carrier invoices from Ansonia Credit. They are a high risk. Ramar Transportation, Inc., MC number is 300208. FMCSA show surety bond is set to cancel on 121.17. Over $13,000 in non-payment complaints have been reported. The next one on the list, Dryden Inc., All Fresh Transportation. Uh, Dryden Inc. slash All Fresh Transportation. We're going to give you a couple of different MC numbers here. Uh, first MC number is for Dryden Inc., 252-905. That's 252 FMCSA shows the bond is scheduled for cancellation on 1-20-2017. Over $97,000 in non-payment complaints have been reported. Now they are operating as All Fresh Logistics, Inc., MC number 989-932. Carriers beware. This is a high-risk All Fresh Transportation. Now, once again, that new MC number is 989 932. Moving right along, Hedman Inc. Hedman Inc., the MC number is 684165. FMCSA shows bond schedule for cancellation on 121-2017. Over $6,000 in non payment complaints reported. Now operating as Luxbow Luxbo Logistics Corporation. Excuse me, Luxbow. Logistics Corporation, new MC number, 995-393. Carriers, they are considered a very high risk. National Truck Lines, Inc., MC number is 970-549. FMCSA shows bond canceled 
Over $32,000 in non-payment complaints reported. Next on the list, Coastal Truck Lines, MC number 943632. FMCSA shows Trust Fund canceled over $17,000 and reported non-payment complaints. Williams Enterprises, Freight Forwarder. Their freight forwarder number is 10225. Surety bond canceled. Over $21,000 in non-payment complaints reported. They are considered an extreme risk. Lane Balance Systems, LLC, MC number 475-581. FMCSA shows trust fund canceled. Over $2,000 in non-payment complaints reported. Shipping Freight, Shipping Freight Transportation. MC number is 828680. FMCSA shows trust fund canceled on 10-17-16. Over $4,000 in non-payment complaints reported. Next on the list, West Coast Brokers, Inc. Blue Water Transportation. Uh, this is they're operating two different two different uh, companies here under the same MC number 764889. Over $3,000 in non-payment complaints reported. They are considered a high risk. MJD Transportation Brokers, MC number 963-929. Surety bond has canceled over $9,000 in non-payment complaints reported to truckstop.com. Extreme risk. Our Specialty Transportation Services, LLC, MC number 642 821 Trust Fund Council over $125,000 in non-payment complaints have been reported to truckstop.com. American Heavy Haul and Logistics LLC, MC number 682762, Surety Bond Council over $3,000 in non-payment complaints. Uh, they are considered an extreme risk. And the next on the list, and I tell you, the list is long this week. Enhanced Transportation Services Inc., MC number nine three four zero six six, FMCSA shows trust fund canceled. Over fifteen thousand dollars in non-payment complaints have been reported. Very high risk. Amtrans Inc., MC number nine two seven three two seven, FMCSA shows trust fund is canceled. Over $12,000 in non-payment complaints have been reported. Extreme risk. ITL Logistics, LLC. MC number is 944066. Surety bond canceled. Over $6,000 in non-payment complaints have been reported. South Coast Logistics, LLC. MC number 911001. Trust fund canceled over $50,000 in active non-payment complaints. Fresh Express Logistics, LLC, I mean, excuse me, Fresh Express Logistics, Inc., MC number 931324, over $34,000 in non-payment complaints have been reported. ANS Logistics, Inc., MC number 943. 442 943 442 trust fund is canceled over $5000 in non-payment complaints have been reported 
ITL Logistics LLC. And I don't think we've ever had a list this long since we've been doing this report. This and, and, and I'm still and it's quite a bit going. It's quite a bit going. ITL Logistics LLC. Nine four four zero six six surety bond canceled over six thousand dollars in non payment complaints. Olace Trucking Inc. Or Olace Trucking LLC. MC numbers two seven two 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 three FMCSA shows surety bond has renewed. Trigain Logistics, formerly as Olace Trucking LLC. This broker also has common ownership as known as Olace Trucking Inc. MC number 517303. These two brokerages have unpaid carrier invoices that collectively exceed over $18,000 in non-payment complaints. They are considered an extreme risk. Uh, following up, they have the same one again, Olathe Trucking, Inc., MC number 517, Trust Fund Council. This broker also has common ownership in Olathe Trucking, LLC. MC number 272-223. These two brokerages have unpaid carrier invoices that collectively exceed over $18,000. Of course, everyone should know by now, Network FOB Inc., uh, truckstop.com, has received and continues to receive a large volume of non-payment complaints against Network FOB's, bro FOB's brokerage division, MC number 292 Five five six, and against their freight forwarder division, MC number zero zero one nine four one, resulting in the suspension of their access to truckstop.com's websites in an effort to protect our carriers and clients. They are reported of past due carrier invoices that are collectively exceed nine hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars, with new complaints being submitted daily. They are also reports that are, they have resurfaced as another freight forwarder, freight forwarder operating as Interlog USA, CFF Freight Forwarder MC 004677. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, this is why it is so critical that we are doing proper vetting before we uh, don't get in so much of a rush to put somebody's freight on our trucks. Two more left on the list, and we're going to wrap this up. LEI Transportation, Inc., LEI Trans, Inc., MC number 672-007. FMCSA shows surety bond scheduled for cancellation on 2-15-17. Over $37,000 in non-payment complaints have been reported. And rounding out the list, Cardi Logistics, LLC, Cardi Transportation, LLC, MC number 929-464. FMCSA shows trust fund canceled on 1-12-17. Over $9,000 in non-payment complaints have been reported. So once again, I'm going to try to keep this list up. Um, if there was somebody that that caught your eye that you uh, may have missed or whatever, I'm going to try to keep the list up. Uh, if you got a question about somebody again or whatever, I'll try and see if I can find it for you and repeat it. But uh just make sure that you are doing a proper vetting of your brokers and your shippers, because there was a shipper, uh, very first time that a shipper has made the list. Um, so you make sure that you're protecting yourself so that you're not out here moving somebody's freight for free. And with that said, ladies and gentlemen, uh, with no further ado, we're going to bring on our resident legal expert, Mr. Hank Seaton. We're going to get him up and on board. So if you have any questions 
or concerns, anything dealing with any type of contracts, uh, disputes, or anything with that, any kind of legal connotation to it, now is the time. There's no such thing as a stupid question. We always welcome your participation. That is why we are here. Press the number one. Get in line. We'll get your call screened, and we'll get you up and on board so that you can ask your question to Hank. And with that being said, let's go to our resident legal expert, Hank Seaton. Hank, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing fine, uh, Rico. I'm a little upset that I've got such little time to talk, and I'm also upset that there is many crooks in the industry as they appear to be. Uh, your litany of, uh, of folks I could add to with a, a couple of huge uh, uh, lawsuits that are pending. Uh, I think before we get started, uh, I want to tell anybody that's on the line that there are a couple of tricks of the trade to avoid this. Number one, if you go to pick up a load and the name of another carrier is on the bill of lading, you better think twice before you pick up the load. It's probably been double brokered. Double brokerage is the source of most of these problems. Uh, I can't begin to tell you how many people acting as a carrier go and sign a contract with a major. The major says no double brokering. They pay no attention to it. They double broker like crazy. Uh, and you, the poor slob that's hauling the load, doesn't get your name on the bill and picks up the bill with somebody's name on it that's a reputable 3PL, and you don't ask yourself why. You can avoid a lot of this by, first of all, instructing your driver to see who's named on the bill of lading. Actually, as a result of MAP 21, you should be named as a, on the bill of lading as the carrier of record. And your driver should not sign uh, Hank Seaton. If it's Seaton Transport, he should sign it Seaton Transport by Hank Seaton so that you preserve recourse. And so that the proof of delivery as it goes back through the supply chain will clearly tip off anybody who's waiting on a POD that you handle the load, not some crook in the middle. So if you follow those practices, uh, some of this will be cut down. I cannot begin to tell you uh, that if, if you feel put upon because you're small, the same thing happens to the very large. So that's, a, exactly. that's uh, just to address this issue uh, because, you know, we passed this MAP 21 and everybody thought, oh, hooray, this will really help the small guys. But Rico, your list is larger now than it was three years ago. <laughs> Absolutely, and 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 also just to let everyone know, we have we try to bring Hank to you at least once a month, and and he's here to help and and answer as many questions as he possibly can. But when you don't have Hank, if we may, if you may be in between weeks, one way to help protect yourself and to insulate yourself just really quickly, uh, Hank has a new book that he just put out, and uh, he gave he was kind enough to give all of the listeners of this podcast a uh, um. A, a discount code on that, and we will repost that on the Race and Lanes Facebook page. But that new book is Rules of the Road, and if you can go pick that up, uh, we'll we'll try to repost the the, the discount link uh, on the Facebook page. But you can go pick that book up at Hank's uh, website, Transcomply. One of Hank's uh, web websites is Transcomply. Right on the very front page, over to the rel over to the uh, right corner, 
It's right there at the top of the page. You can't miss it. And that book is full, chock full of all types of, of legalese and things that you need to do to protect yourself. Just wanted to get that plug in real quick for you, Hank. Well, thank you, Rico. There is there is an entire chapter on preventing bad debts that goes into what to look for in contracts. Now, you're all required to sign a contract uh, probably to get a load. Look at that contract. If it says that you're surrendering recourse to the shipper, that means you're giving up a primary right that you otherwise have if the middleman goes south you can go to his principal because in every instance that I see, uh, the broker is acting as the outside traffic department for the shipper, and under existing law, that shipper should be responsible for payment of those freight charges unless it otherwise declares that you've got to get paid before you deliver on the bill of lading. So understanding these basic rules can avoid a, a, a small carrier from getting hit for sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars and when they're larger carriers it can be a million dollar mistake. So there are there is a provision in that book that uh uh it's multi pages in terms of how to protect yourself and uh given that lengthy list I think that that Rico uh read I'm just reminded that, that that may be one of the major issues you guys face. And with that being said, Hank, we got a couple. We got a few people that's got their hand raised, and I, I don't want to um, hog anybody or prevent anybody from getting in. That's got a question. We got a little bit of extra time um, we, that I, I, I allotted for a little extra time for tonight's show, but I had no idea that our bad broker report was going to be that long. I <laughs> I just happened to pull it up right when I got ready to read it, and I was like, "Good God, am I? I mean, we just read it last week, and it was nowhere nowhere near that long." Um, but we're going to go to caller, and I hope I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to butcher your name, caller. Please forgive me, uh, but, but correct me when I'm – it's uh, Sarone. Yeah, Sarone, uh, Kiron, that's close enough. Kiron, hey, all right, uh, Kiron. All right, we, 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 sure, we all you all uh, with Rico and Hank. How can we help? Thank you. Um, I just have my DOT number up uh, just before Christmas, and I'm getting ready to uh, – I want to do power only. Now, I had an email. I've had hundreds of emails from that email address when I registered my DOT number. I had an email for, from Pam for power only. Uh, it was $1.38, a uh, 90% drop and hook, uh, basically, for power only with my own authority. What, what would a rate that I should expect to get? doing something like that. I think J.B. Hunt, uh, I, I, I called them up, and it was like $1.59, but they needed six months uh, running with that authority. What kind of rate should I expect to get if I was to stick with somebody and just on their freight under my authority? Well, I don't have a whole lot of expertise as far as doing a lot of power only. I've done some power only with, uh, I, I've, uh, you know, it, it kind of used it as a stopgap or whatever, I have done some power only with JB Hunt. I've done some power only with um, with um, uh, UPS, and I've also done some power only uh-huh. with the United States Postal Service. Uh, all of them are a little bit differently, and all of them structure their uh, stru- structures their contracts a little bit differently. Um, I, I, if I'm going to be a um, if I'm going to be in business, I don't know that I would use that as my primary business model. Maybe someone that does that primarily as their business model 
might have a little bit more in-depth information that they can give you. The reason that I don't care for it so much is you probably could lease on to a carrier like a Landstar or somebody and probably um, make more than the $1.34 than what they're offering you. Uh, if that's if you understand what I'm saying, yeah, yeah. yeah let, yeah, let me lock in on that, uh, uh, Rico. Uh, I don't know what is rate adequacy, but let me tell you what is driving some of the larger carriers to go to the power only concept. There are real problems with the independent contractor model, uh, and it relates to the treatment of uh, of uh, independent contractors as their own businessmen. There are a bunch of class action lawsuits going against uh, the larger carriers in which they find one disgruntled owner-operator try to establish a class action and claim that uh, uh, all of the owner-operators were employees and it just gets very entangled. uh, and those suits have uh, have a, a chilling effect on the independent contractor model and are leading some of the large carriers to encourage power only. Now, you got to look at it. Rico is right that uh, unless, uh, unless they're offering you what amounts to a dedicated contract that's going to pay you for all of your compliance costs, including your insurance, as a goose up, it's probably not a good idea. But I think that uh, the large carriers are so desperate to convert to the power only, particularly if you're running in states like California, that uh, if anything, they're paying, uh, maybe paying a premium. The one drawback that they see to hiring a small carrier is if there's a lawsuit, they're going to be named in the suit, and they're probably going to want to be very sure that you are vetted uh, and that uh, you are a safe carrier because uh, the lawsuits are legion in which power-only uh, carriers are being sued in bad accidents for negligently uh, selecting the power-only carrier. I think it's a model whose time is coming. Uh, there have been in the past uh, uh, carriers who mistreated their power-only people, promised them things they didn't give, and had a whole bunch of crap in the contract, but that's not to say that the two people Rico mentioned uh, don't treat their power-only people fair, uh, and it is just a question of, uh, of assessing your needs. You can look at it this way. A power-only carrier is going to get the, the, the benefit of, uh, of uh, a goose-up in rates, and if you're using 100% brokerage freight, you're probably going to get treat, treated just as bad or worse than to, to look at a power-only thing. I've always thought that, that uh, carriers using power-only uh, uh, had more, more sympathy for the, the, the perils of the operator maybe than the non-asset broker. Okay, that, that, that explains a lot to me. I was just going to use it for my business model just for the first three months till I get my uh, authority active for a while and then move on with you know, a full setup and a trailer, et cetera. But thank you for that for the answer. Yeah, on the power on the power only, they they will not sign you on until your DOT number is active, uh, at the yeah, least. Yeah. The other thing the other thing I want to mention is uh, if there are any other people that are processing their application and getting into the business, 
remember that once your DOT number is turned on, it doesn't mean it's smooth sailing. You will have a new carrier audit within six months, and you're going to have to worry about compliance. That's part of the of the services that TransComply provides. Uh, you're going to need uh, you're going to need to be sure that you don't have that unfortunate surprise of uh, going to trucking and and ignore all of the procedures and all of the all of the taxes and all of the other stuff that comes with it before you're in compliance. Yep. Thank you for that. Yep. That's it. Thank all you for right. your help. Well, we appreciate it. Thank you. And Hank, let's go and drop and grab another caller really quickly. Uh, Utasha, I think that is. Excuse me if I'm butchering it. Yeah, how you doing, man? Hello, Utasha. Good, yourself? Utaka. It's Utaka. Utaka, okay. You're on, you, yes, <laughs> yes, sir. sir. You're, you're, you're on live with, with Rico and Hank. I apologize about that. Yeah, hey Rico, how you doing, man? I'm glad you got me through, man. I've been I've been oh. listening to you for a while. Hey, Mister uh, Hank, how you doing? I'm doing fine. You pocket? How are you? Pretty good. I'm, I'm out of Indiana, and um, I have my own tractor and trailer. Um, I pull a flatbed, and um, I'm thinking about getting my own authority. <clears throat> Is it? But right now, I'm leased on to Admiral Merchants out of Minnesota. Trying to figure out mm-hmm. what, what, is, what is is it better to just be leased on to somebody like Admiral? Or is it the better to get your own authority? Uh, it, That's, the, the, you want to go first, Hank? It's not an easy answer to that. If you get your own authority and you want to be your own entrepreneur and your goal is to ultimately have multiple units and build your own business, then you're going to have to take a risk and do it sometime. Uh uh, you, but you need in in making that you've got to go into a risk analysis. Uh, it really helps if you uh, if you start with some hometown freight going at least in one direction. Uh, you know your startup cost as an independent contract or as a, a licensed carrier could very well cost you eighteen thousand dollars in insurance to start with and. Uh, you know, then you've got additional compliance costs, and then you've got to, uh, you know, get into IRP. There is a, uh, a an opportunity cost that uh, uh, is a whole lot more than just signing on with Admiral Merchants and uh, living month by month. So, you know, unless you've got uh, unless you've got uh, 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 money that you're willing to invest uh, over and above your payments on your truck. Uh, uh, you, you you probably need to think twice about it, but uh, you know when people ask me that question, I say at some point in his life, uh, J. B. Hunt decided he wasn't going to haul bulls for somebody else and got his own authority. And for every <laughs> J. B. Hunt, there are a lot of people who try it and fail. But uh, it is it is in part the American success story. Now, the other thing is, uh, and we've been fighting the good fight here for the past uh, six years. Government regulation is, uh, uh, and at both the federal and state level, makes it more difficult for a little guy to get in business and stay in business. Insurance rates are going up, so in a, in a way, uh, the timing has not been good. The past six years, uh, we don't know what is going to happen uh, on Friday, or in the first hundred days. Uh, 
Uh, hopefully, right. uh, the bureaucrats will get their 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 boot off of our neck and uh, realize that there's a value to encouraging entrepreneurship. Uh, but uh, if uh, uh, the current thinking in Washington is the government knows better and everybody should be somebody else's employee and work a nine to five, and I think if you're on this call tonight, you probably know that. Uh, uh, that, that that just means I owe it's off to work I go and you don't get a piece of the American dream. Yeah, that's that's my issue. I'm kind of because I'm tired of Admiral's a good carrier. Don't get me wrong, you know they. But you know you go get loads off the low board, and sometimes you get loads that somebody else put on the low board for somebody. I got a load the other day, and there was a, a, a C H Robinson load, and I, I don't I don't I really don't appreciate that. You know I mean if I'm leased on the Admiral, I want to haul you know shipper direct freight or something like that. I'm not. Because I don't want no C.H. Robinson. That means somebody, C.H. Robinson broke the load somebody else, and then they turn around and put it on Admiral Lobo. And I just don't think that's that's how you do trucking. Well, just, you know, I've been let, let, let me let me just let me just chime in a little bit here on on this subject you talk. It, it's and and that's it's kind of like you know it's the age old question, and, and I think my good friend is coming up here in a little bit. He'll probably have something he wants to add on to this as well. Uh, Mr. Kenny Long, our, our one of our fellow uh, podcasters here on the uh, Let's Trust uh, Network. But mm-hmm. truly, this is a this is this is a hard to hard conversation that you have to have with yourself. And I'm just going to be totally transparent, as transparent as I possibly can be. Having your own authority is great if you have the true entrepreneurial spirit. And 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 what I mean by true entrepreneurial spirit, you have to be a student of being of of, of being in business. And you have to be willing to go out and make sales calls. You can't you can't allow your fear of going out and talking to people and networking with people to overcome you because if if so, it's not really worth having your own authority just to run brokered freight. Uh in my in my in my humble opinion. Um and, and every every major carrier from time to time is going to move brokered freight. They're, they're, the, the brokers absolutely play an essential role in the trans in the movement of, of freight throughout the country. They are an absolute absolute essential cog in the wheel, so to speak. Uh, so so don't don't be uh, don't get dis you know uh, di- you know don't don't disengage this just because you see where well, you're working with a carrier and that you are pulling some C H Robinson freight. More than likely, they probably got a really great deal from C.H. Robinson. I know that sometimes the larger carriers can get better deals from brokers than 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 the one than the one truck Charlie. Or it may just be a situation where they're trying to put put you in a situation where you can actually move out of a bad area and get you to another area. So don't don't risk you know just because it's broker freight or whatever and it's not a direct customer freight, that's not necessarily such a bad thing. But I'm, just before you make the, the the movement from jumping from a leased operator, you know, a leased on, on owner operator, going to a complete motor carrier, understand that once you make that transition as well, that there's no one else to call. So when things happen to you, when things go bad, you know, just like things can go good. Well, when things do go bad, and they will go bad, there's no one else to call. You must figure out what it is, what your next move is. Uh, you you know when, when, if you got a tow bill or something like that, or if you don't have uh, any type of insurance, anything to help you out with any towing, well, guess what? You got to pay all that bill. Whenever when, you know, if if uh, a situation comes up where you got a claim on some freight or whatever, you know it's your baby, 
and and they don't want to hear no nobody want to hear nothing about the labor pains. Just show me the baby, and it's gonna be your baby. So you gotta understand <laughs> what it is that you're getting ready to get into uh, from from that aspect. And that's the only that's the only thing that I say about that. Um, running spot market breaks from time to time, and, and and during different seasons can be a great boost to your bottom line. But at the same time, as the old saying goes, if you go from broker to broker, you're going to end up broker. So make sure that you 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 you, you, under, you understand the whole aspect of being a in business and being an entrepreneur and actually going out and establishing your your own customer clientele and customer base. Uh, so hopefully yeah, the, that answers yeah, your the, question. The, the, you got the, anything the, else? Yeah, I got one. I got one comment on that. If you're working for Admiral on a cents per loaded mile, you have pretty much a guarantee. Uh, traditionally, uh, a more entrepreneurial thing is to work on a percentage and uh, try to cherry pick the good loads and hope that Admiral is giving you the good loads. Uh, the problem, if you're working on a percentage, is uh, if to keep you moving they're taking loads off of C.H. Robinson, and C.H. Robinson is taking 20% out of the middle, and then you're working on 70%, you can do the math and figure out how much of that freight bill you're actually getting. So, you know, you have to sit down and realize there's some real winners and there's some real losers. The easiest thing is probably to get a high guaranteed cent per mile loaded and empty, and then tell you they're going to run you 2,500 miles a week, and then then you figuring out your uh, 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 your income and your expenditures is a whole lot easier than working on a percentage, uh, uh, either as uh, uh, an independent contractor or owner operator on the one hand, or uh, going out and uh, uh, playing the market based on uh, the availability of freight at any point in time. Those are different risk assessments, and I, I hear what Rico's saying. And and I and I certainly agree with it. Uh, one other uh, point that I'll make an observation on: uh, it is the Uber effect, and Uber is coming to trucking. There are a number of startups who are basically going to try to tie the electronic load board together with matching carrier freight with uh, 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 with shipper direct. Uh, or carrier power with shipper direct freight. The the model would say that uh, uh, ultimately the carrier doesn't need to take all the haircut that's in the system now to get access to spot market freight. The success of it will depend upon the ability of shippers to break away from the security blanket of turning it all over to a big broker and the ability to... Uh, uh, convince the shippers that they can get uh, dependable service and tracking out of small carriers. And that betrays yet another issue, which is visibility, the tendency of shippers and brokers now to insist on some way to have uh, direct tracing of truckload freight. It's part of the Amazon move. Every shipper thinks he needs to know exactly where your truck is uh, uh, you know, 30 minutes before your delivery, which creates a whole bunch of different uh, economic issues for small carriers and liability issues, but that may be beyond what we can talk about tonight. 
I sure appreciate that, man. Thank you for the show last night. Yeah, I'll keep. Thank you, doctor. Thank you. Yes, sir. Hank, I'm I'm starting to think you were listening to the show last week because we tackled that very thing with Amazon a little bit last week with uh, Chuck Snow. (laughs) So, (laughs) well, you know, Chuck Chuck and I may share brain on a lot of things, but uh, I'm just I'm just finishing off an article on that for. uh, an air forwarder magazine because, you know, somebody is moving their cheese in terms of expedited freight. And uh, actually I'm going to be talking about that on Friday to a bunch of lawyers because what I'm saying is it's really not a good idea for a shipper or broker to demand that they have, that every carrier have in-cab technology because plaintiff's bar is going to use that to say, that the shipper or broker is a joint venturer with the carrier and could control the carrier, so hence he ought to take the uh, excess liability suit. And if that's the way the game plays out, then then the shipper is going to say, I can't hire Rico. He's only got a million dollars worth of insurance, and that ain't enough if he hits the school bus. So you see how that all plays out in terms of the risk perception by larger shippers. Uh, It may be that uh, uh, convincing the larger shippers that they need to do business with C.H. Robinson to have somebody with deep enough pockets to avoid them from having to pay a judgment uh, is uh, is something that the the big people will uh, try to encourage rather than discourage in a way. Mm. Okay, well, we got one more and then before we jump into another, we, before we shift gears, maybe, uh, let's go to our good friend and fellow podcaster, Kenny Long. Kenny, you're up and on board with Rico and Hank. What's going on? Good evening, gentlemen. Thanks for having me on. I had a question for myself, and I'll make a quick comment on uh, on some of these questions about should they get their own authority or not. You know, there are some really good carriers out there, and it really you have to go back to look at your contract and see what, the carrier is offering the protections from the liability that they're offering, the percentage of the revenue that you might be getting passed through versus how much would it cost you if you went out on your own. So everybody, they want to know, should I get my own or should I stay leased to a carrier? What they're really asking is, will I make more money on my own? And you have to look at the numbers and decide for yourself. Every contract is different. Every carrier offers different things. And depending on where you live, your driving record, your experience, your motivation to get out there and sell yourself, sell your carrier, you know, it's a variable for everyone, and there's no straight answer for, you know, that's going to cover the whole board. So everybody has to look within themselves and look at their own business plan to see where that will take them. Um, And as for this Uberization of freight, you know, Hank, I think you touched on there's a lot of startups out there getting into this. And uh, going back to what you were saying about contracts, I have been working with a few of these new startup companies, including Uber themselves, and as big of a company as they are, I don't think they know the first thing about the trucking or freight industry, and it, it shows in their contract, uh, and all of these contracts, I mean, they are some of the worst contracts I've ever seen, and uh, you know, we've, we spent a good deal of time negotiating with their compliance and legal department before we would sign anything with their contract, so... That they're Look, horrible. Kenny, uh, and Kenny, I, I agree. I agree with you. I have been retained by a couple of these guys to help them with their terms and conditions. 
and typically they are computer geeks who see an opportunity uh, and in terms of understanding what is acceptable uh, uh, th there's a lot of sales puffing involved and a lot of indemnity what I have tried to do uh, with them is to establish a common shipper protocol that applies to all shippers and a common protocol that applies to all carriers and limit that to the carrier is licensed, authorized, and insured. The carrier will provide reasonable dispatch. The carrier will handle cargo claims up to $100,000 so that it's really very plain vanilla service that uh, uh, is, uh, uh, is something that could be acceptable. But I certainly agree with you that the role of these people should be to do what they do best, which is electronic matching of carriers. And the pre-negotiated contracts have to be something that uh, uh, a, a small carrier can reasonably accept without incurring any untoward risk, like reject it, crush it, and dump it, or like unlimited liability for Nikes. Absolutely. So, you know, if I give any advice, I talked about this on my whole show yesterday. We did an hour and a half just talking about these Uberization companies. And for everybody listening, I know there's a, a big push and carriers want to get rid of the middleman, cut out the broker. And these companies are brokers. That's the first thing they have to understand is they are brokers. And because they are all startups and the computer geeks, like you said, you have to pay more attention than ever to these contracts. So that's just yeah, a warning I, from I me. Agree, and, I, agree, I agree with you that they are brokers. One thing that they are doing, and I tell them all that they, they need to have a broker's license, and hell, a broker's license is not a big deal, nor is the bond. But one thing that's interesting about some of the models, they're not handling the money. When the deal yeah. is made, the deal is between the carrier and the shipper, and the carrier bills the shipper and takes his own credit risk. There are some of these uh, uh, programs that say, look, uh, Mr. Shipper, if you're going to use our program, once you make a deal with RICO, uh, uh, you send us your credit card and we're going to hold the money. Uh, those, uh, those payment schemes, the fact that uh, they're uh, not going to collect from the shipper and promise to pay you, uh, if done correctly, uh, uh, would, would end the, the problem that RICO went through because you see the names of the deadbeats that he listed were probably 98% brokers or forwarders who, who had a constructive trust obligation with respect to the carrier's money but absconded with it or were bad businessmen and used it to, uh, uh, to pay for uh, a trip to Miami. You know, So I'm just saying that the model, although uh, the new way of thinking is being caused by Uber and Amazon, uh, is in a way somewhat refreshing. Uh, and one thing, Kenny, I'm sure you you recognize is Uber doesn't understand regulated transportation. All of these mm -hmm. uh, guys that are running around uh, uh, making in-home deliveries in vans may not be subject to FMCSA safety regulations because of the size of the unit, but it's interstate freight and they all need authority. And trust me, most of the guys that are hauling uh, uh, 
freight uh, around commercial cities in vans don't know what a DOT authority is. That's absolutely true. Probably and don't have they don't have insurance either. Because they don't even have all of the kinks. $200,000 worth of insurance on those little vans. That's right. And they don't even have the kinks worked out of their, their taxi service yet. There's a lot of uh, independent contractor uh, leasing their cars, their personal vehicles to this company, and they're getting into some hot water with some of these different city ordinances and things. But that's a whole different discussion. But let's go back to the the deadbeats that Rico listed in the beginning. That was really what I called for. Um, I had one of those go out of business and took a few thousand dollars uh, that they owed me with them. Um, I do work with a factoring company, and I started the collections process. Now, we send out the invoice. On day 31, we make a phone call and ask them for the check number. And we stay on them. We've been riding them hard on making sure that we get the money. And I've noticed that 2016 was a really tough year. And the closer we got to the end of the year, the longer their days to pay got and the worse their credit score got. And that was almost across the board. But we started the collection process for one of these companies that went out of business. And we were trying to uh, go after the shipper to get the, the money. And in the meantime, the factoring company that we work with filed on their bond, and the bond company uh, got about 1% of what this company owed us, and they cashed the check. Does that exclude me uh, from going after the shipper at this point? Not at all. Not at all. Uh, the... Uh in fact, uh, I'm in I'm embroiled in a in a lawsuit. Uh, uh, it's over a quarter of a million dollars, and the argument was that uh, uh, I was going against the shipper and have the shipper tied up in court. And I told the shipper, "Look, you're responsible for paying for this, but to mitigate our damages, uh, I've got to file on the bond and get what I can." So, uh, you know, I filed on the bond. Was lucky enough to get. Uh, uh, twenty-five or thirty thousand dollars, but we're still short uh, over two hundred grand, and we're still suing the shipper. So, no, I don't think you. I don't think you're surrendering uh, uh, your rights. You're just mitigating your damages against going against the uh, the, the the bond. One question I would ask you, though, uh, and you know, a, a factor can uh, can can create some problems, or they can be very beneficial. Uh, does your factor do a pretty good job of identifying for you who is a bad credit risk? Well, they do a good job of identifying beforehand, but what we've noticed is uh, when these companies are agreeing to pay on 30-day terms and then they start tre- stretching it out to 45-day terms and that turns into 60-day terms, uh, the credit rating doesn't keep up with that. It's a The credit rating is kind of a reactive process, so it, they have to have late payments before the credit starts dropping, and that's, I think, what we got caught up in. So they were a good yeah, credit. Well, that's, uh, why, that's why most of these, uh, of, the, of the really large factors, and I do work with some of them, uh, yeah. basically have internal networks like the old CompuNet, which right. is a deadbeat list, that, that lets you know pretty instantaneously that uh, – uh, that that you know there's a, a a real problem. The other thing that I'll just mention to people on the on the line, uh, 
Kenny mentioned the fact that, well, the terms are 30 days, and then they want to go 45, and then they want to go 60. Uh, good guys finish last because if your payment terms are 30 days and you let it get uh, over 45 and then you get a payment, you're probably going to have to give it back because sooner or later enough people are going to get pissed off they'll throw the guy in bankruptcy. And the way bankruptcy works, they go and claw back any payment that was made outside of credit terms within 90 days of bankruptcy. So I have seen people uh, get get really hot and bothered at 60 days, get a bunch of money paid, and then have to give it back within the uh, after the bankruptcy occurs. That's called a preference. And the word to the wise is, that you really, if you're dealing business with someone, you really have to have to pressure them uh, to pay. Oh, certainly, I'd say within 45 days, because that's kind of the ordinary course that the bankruptcy courts accept. Otherwise, you know, you're getting, you're, you should be getting desperate. And of course, there are some factors they've got a hold back on you, uh, and uh, you know they're going to get an extra percent and a half for that extra 30 days or whatever. Right depending on your factor. Right. So they not, and they're going to turn it back over to you under recourse. So they may not be as uh, <clears throat> as uh, 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 active as you would be since it's actually your money that's at stake. Well, really quick, I know we're, we're out of time, and, and so maybe this will be the Cliff Notes version, but what is the best uh, best course of action for a carrier when they're at that 31 days, like I said, they make that first phone call. And I've had, I've had brokers that their response at 30, 40, 45 days, uh, their response is, it's been submitted for payment. Uh, what, what, what's the best uh, course of action at that point? Well, there are, in negotiating the contract, you'll see language of two different terms. Uh, a broker is not required to pay you, the carrier, until he gets paid by his customer. So absent anything else, uh, if he says, I invoiced it and I haven't been paid, I don't have to pay you, that may be the contract you signed on for. Uh, ideally, what you would say is the language would be that he warrants you'll be paid within 35 days or within five days of his receipt of the money so that if you're not paid within 35, you can tell him to go dig into his own pocket. But for small brokers, <coughs> they really <coughs> don't want to play guarantor for all of their shippers because they haven't got enough enough reserves. Maybe CHR does, but a small broker doesn't have enough reserves to take a, uh, a bankruptcy of his, of his major shipper. Uh, the one thing that I would say to do is, look, uh, under the broker regulations, you've got to disclose to me uh, uh, when you billed him and when he paid you. And if you say he hadn't paid you and I got to look to him for the money, uh, I'm, I don't want to interfere with you, but I'm about ready to call him. I'm about, I don't want to interfere with your relationship with him, but I didn't sign on to, uh, uh, you know, you extending him credit. Uh, and if you're saying I ain't got recourse to you, then uh, I guess I need to call General Electric. Because what happens fairly frequently is a broker will find out that he's got a cargo claim 
on a load you didn't handle, and his shipper is offset sixty thousand bucks. So all of a sudden, the broker's got a case of the shorts, and it's true that he hadn't gotten paid. But the reason he didn't get paid <clears throat> is because the shipper is offsetting somebody else's cargo claim against you. You see what I'm saying? And if 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 a if a broker comes at you with that kind of argument, then you need to say, well, look, then I guess I need to call the shipper and tell him, hey, I'm the one that delivered load number 102. Why haven't you paid it? I'm being told by the broker that uh, you haven't paid it. Why haven't you? And if the and if the broker's playing fat and loose with your money, uh, the shipper's going to say, what the hell is this? We paid that invoice last month. And that is right. probably that is probably your ultimately your best recourse. Uh, I'm working one now. You guys still there? Yes. Yes, sir. Yes, yes sir. I'm working. I'm working one now where if my client had gone to the major broker sooner, he would have trapped money. But he waited around, bought the check is in the mail until the broker. Had, uh, uh, had 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 paid the crook all of the money. Now, the broker doesn't want to pay twice, and guess what? Uh, the guy I'm representing doesn't have his name on the bills of lading, so he doesn't have a whole lot of recourse up the supply chain to anybody. And I'm just saying, if you, if you get that shucking and jiving, you have to push the issue upstream to be sure he hasn't gotten the money. He's just lying to you. Got it. Well, I'll tell you one trick that I all use right. is when I'm when I'm negotiating these contracts, they almost all say the broker agrees to pay in 30 days. But it doesn't say what happens if they don't pay in 30 days. So I always add the line of any funds not received by date due will be charged 1.5% fees and then 1.5% each 30 days thereafter. Uh, if I get them to accept it, and I have – sometimes they accept these things and they don't, they don't even read what I change – uh, I've had one that was late on the about 45th day I called and I said, okay, if it's late, I know it's been submitted for payment. Make sure you include that additional one and a half percent. And their response was, well, we don't pay late fees. And I laughed and I said, well, I, I wish that was how the world worked. I, I wish I could tell American Express that, but yeah. your contract well, with me was that you will pay that fee. So, and yeah, they wrote a check you, that I, day. I'm on board. I'm on board with that. You know, I'm not trying to hawk the book necessarily, but we do have in there, credit tools <clears throat> one is attorney's fees one is interest on late payments one is what's called a spreading lien which a carrier can put in their service terms and conditions which says that they reserve the right to hold freight for past due freight charges as well as for the freight charges on the load in question uh, and if you can slip that into your service terms and conditions or into your negotiation then all of a sudden you're not just a general unsecured creditor. You can catch someone's attention. Okay, gentlemen, I won't take up any more of your time. Sorry I held you over, Rico, but thanks for having me on. No, not a problem, Kenny. We appreciate it. And Hank, if you got the time, I don't want to. I don't want to be uh, loose and free with your time. But uh, I, I kind of booked this over because I, I kind of figured we were going to go over a little bit. And I uh, kind of want to say, if you got the time, I wanted to try to touch on those uh, subjects that we talked about earlier. Uh, one being the uh, the dispatching service, and the other being the um, 
the uh, uh, um, um, the, the the new rule coming from FMCSA about um, refrigerated carriers. Yeah, it's actually so, uh, uh, not FMCSA; it's uh, uh, FDA. But we can talk about both of those. Absolutely. So, just to recap, last week the question came up about um, about uh, dispatch services, and, and uh, someone was asking about. Uh, asking our opinion about dispatch services, and I, and I told them that you know we would be having you on, and probably just be a good time to follow up with you about the the legality of of a dispatch service, and 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 I'll just let you take over from there. Okay, the uh, the federal rules for a broker say that a broker is anyone who arranges for transportation for compensation, and who is not an ordinary part of the carrier's daily operations. There is much case law that says that if an intermediary has the right to allocate freight between two or more carriers, it's not part of the ordinary, uh, uh, of any ordinary company. If you just take that definition, it would mean that anybody who runs a dispatch service for two or more carriers who are competing and makes a commission off of it is a broker. Now, accordingly, they should have a broker's license, which is not a big deal to get right now, and a bond. Uh, And, uh, uh, you know, that's the law. But what happens is if the dispatch service is putting together carriers and other brokers as an agent and is not handling the money, then... uh, some of the angst that a carrier should have about doing business with them probably goes away because they say, well, gee, uh, they can't very well steal money they don't get. So, And that's the misconception. A lot of these uh, folks uh, don't want to be a broker. They, uh, uh, they want to uh, get a commission back from the carriers as an independent sales agent, uh, but they're independent sales agents for 25 carriers, and as a result, they are a broker. Uh, some of the problems uh, that I have seen uh, involving it is when there is a dispute between the sales agent in terms of whether or not an account is commissionable uh, in the future or in the past, uh, it gets all muddied up because the, uh, the booking service or the agent uh, can't come into court with clean hands and say that he was licensed, authorized, and insured. So, I mean, you know, I would just say if you got somebody who's trying to sell you on the idea that he's a a dispatch service, ask him where his broker's license is and tell him that, hey, it's not a big deal. It'll give you credibility. Why don't you have one? There we go. So that hopefully that clears that up. And now on to the uh the new rule coming down that you guys at Transcomply have a solution to. Uh won't won't we take the last portion of the show and go in, and delve into that? Okay, for those of you who are involved in hauling refrigerated foodstuffs, uh you may have heard about what's called the Food Safety Modernization Act. The uh FDA, which is the federal drug administration uh, was told to come up with rules to ensure that uh, uh, perishable commodities and uh, foodstuffs uh, uh, was 
properly uh, secure in the entire food chain all the way from uh, the, the, the field to, uh, to the homeowner. As a result of that, there was a couple of years that went by where everybody was talking to the FDA about the rules. And when the rules came out, the transportation portion was handled in a little bit of a strange way. They said that the primary obligation for ensuring that there was no adulterated foodstuffs fell on the shippers and the brokers, and that the shippers and the brokers could use best practices in the industry to establish standards that the carriers would have to comply with. Sound like a good idea to everybody because it wasn't going to be an oppressive regulation dictated by government that didn't understand. It quickly became clear that there was going to be a bit of a problem in that because if every if every shipper, every grocery store, every broker was left to come up with his own terms and conditions and those contract terms and conditions had to be negotiated in the spot market before every guy with two trucks could handle a load, uh, the market would come to a crash. Uh, the result is particularly a small carrier uh, would say, yeah, I want that load of uh, of bananas or I want that load of, of watermelons and all of a sudden he'd get a two-page contract. He had a sign that he sure wasn't going to hire a lawyer to look at and it had all kinds of crap in it that, uh, uh, you know, a, a sophisticated carrier wouldn't sign. Well, when we realized that the industry couldn't cope with that, there are 39,000 carriers hauling refrigerated commodities, and 95% of them are small, uh, uh, we, we just started calculating in our own minds with shippers and brokers what this would mean. And shippers and brokers, were, uh, particularly brokers, were telling me, look, I'm getting shippers who are putting all of these uh, terrible provisions in the contract that I can't possibly get carriers to abide by. So we sat down with a, a, a group, uh, and we had... Uh, uh, the ag haulers involved, we had uh, uh, refrigerated warehousemen, we had uh, uh, a group of, uh, of brokers involved, and we said, look, let's come up with a uniform protocol. And what those terms mean is by uniform, we mean one standard. By protocol, we mean something that uh, a carrier can agree to abide by. The purpose of the protocol is so that large and small carriers can all be vetted under the same uniform standard and have equal access to freight in the spot market. Well, we we worked with constituents to come up with a very simple statement or a protocol of what carriers will do. And that's basically, you know, have a downloadable reefer, uh, you know, deal with washouts, uh, 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 go through... Uh, 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 a training program for the driver and food safety. It's just the very basics, <coughs> excuse me, that the shippers and brokers will require. Uh, what we've done is we have launched this uh, uh, for subscription by carriers, uh, and we think it's a dandy idea. Uh, if you read Transport Topics, you'll see that there was a front-page article last week, and it goes over on page four, talking about what a dither the industry is in about this. It doesn't mention this solution, 
this solution will be covered next week in, in transport topics. Uh, I'll just read uh, quickly uh, uh, a questionnaire here. Uh, uh, KLM uh, uh, Logistics says our industry is faced with compliance with the Food Safety Modernization Act and shippers will expect all carriers to comply with the minimum standards. We endorse the, the protocol as a way for carriers to show compliance. We depend on small carrier partners in the spot market. The protocol will allow us to streamline the vetting process and meet our obligations. Uh, uh, Alan Lund says uh, multiple variations of carrier expectations and contractual language that tries to shift all of the compliance burden to brokers and carriers is unworkable. There's an immediate need to define a protocol that will serve the interests of all parties. That's why we endorse the protocol. Uh, uh, some of you all may know uh, RWI Transportation and Logistics. <coughs> They're affiliated with Castellini, uh, and they said the deadline uh, looms for all carriers uh, 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 to understand the importance and comply with FISMA. Participation in the protocol is an inexpensive and efficient way for small carriers to make it known in the industry that they're properly licensed, authorized, and insured. I could go on with the endorsements, one of which is by, by Chuck Snow, which is who's a, a regular participant in this and uh, uh, endorses it as well. Uh, what is involved is uh, a, a, a maintenance fee to be published on the website as subscribing to the protocol so that can be used to vet you. In addition, uh, you would name uh, the licensee of the protocol uh, as a certificate holder for your insurance so that if you were going for a load in the spot market, uh, a, a, a shipper or a broker could easily jump on the protocol, uh, identify what your contact information was, <coughs> that you were licensed, authorized, and insured, and qualified to handle uh, refrigerated product. We think it's a dandy idea whose time has come, uh, but uh, a large part of the issue is in order to make it a standard, we need to uh, 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 get uh, carriers to see the benefit and sign up. That's that's basically uh, uh, what's involved, Rico. Uh, I can, uh, uh, you know, you've got uh, a multi-page uh, 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 statement of the protocol, these uh, endorsements, and what we call frequently asked questions, which just covers what is the protocol, what's its purpose, how is it developed, why is it important to carriers of all size, what are the benefits, how will uh, it benefit shippers, brokers, and warehouses, and then how to join. So in hopefully five minutes, that explains, Rico, what it's all about. Absolutely. I think that what I'm as far as me and myself, myself and, and, and for our little small operation, I think we're going to try to get signed up on that thing sometime this week myself. Um, so if anybody has any questions or if they want to uh, reach out to you guys concerning this, they can go to the website transcomply.com. I put a link up of the uh, Uniform Food Safety Act up on the, uh, up on the Rates and Lanes Facebook page, so you can click on there as well if you want more information but as, and it'll take you directly to the uh, TransComply website, and there's information on TransComply on how you what you can do, what you, where you, uh, how can how you can apply, excuse me, 
and there's also contact information on TransComply as well. And uh, Hank's other website is uh, transportationlaw.net. So if you have any, if you want to reach out to Hank or if you want to get any more information about Hank Seaton, those two websites are pretty much his place on the web, and there's contact information there, uh, how you can reach out to Hank for any, any of his services if you may need uh, him to uh, be an advocate for you on a more of a, on a more serious basis if you need to reach out to those guys. They do excellent work. I've used them uh, previously in the past myself. Very quick, very easy to do business with, and, uh, as, and as always, very professional. So we definitely, definitely support and uh, endorse Hank Seaton and all, the, all his efforts as well. And don't forget about the book that's also available on TransComply that we talked about that can help protect you if you follow and heed some of the, um, the advice, some of the stuff that we talked about tonight. There are safe, safe clauses and things that you can put into your contract to avoid those dilemmas if you take heed to many of the things that are in the book. And that book can also be had at TransComply.com. We'll be putting up the discount code along with the link a little bit later on uh, on the Race and Lanes Facebook page as well. So if you want to order the book, if you want to get signed up for the uh, food safety, you can do all of that through TransComply. Uh, Hank, is there anything else that you want to say before we get out of here? Any, uh, anything else as far as people getting in contact with you or how they can reach you? You want to get no, shoot not, that out not, real not, quick? No, not really. I guess we've had a, we've had a good discussion tonight about the uh, – the advantages of being an independent contractor or going into business yourself, and I think uh, I think probably the take home is uh, there are additional layers of compliance for being your own carrier. There are additional costs, and it's something that you need to go into with your eyes wide open and be and be willing to learn and to be taught. Uh, the question of purchasing insurance. Uh, the question that uh, Ken asked about choosing a factor, uh, the pros and cons of that, all of these extra uh, business-type issues are pretty well generally covered in the book. And so I would say that, uh, you know, before you pull that trigger to buy the insurance policy and make the application with the agency, uh, be forewarned and forearmed of uh, uh, not only what the, the revenue aspect is, but what the compliance costs are going to be. Absolutely, and take another, you know, take an adage from another profession, as they say, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, and that book is definitely an ounce of prevention to help uh, alleviate some of the woes that you may run into if you just heed some of the things that Hank has outlined in this book. So with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, we definitely want to uh, thank Hank Seaton for taking time out of his busy schedule to come on and, and actually spend a little extra time with us tonight to answer all of our questions. Uh, we're very, very, very appreciative for Hank for doing that. We want to uh, send kudos and thanks out to uh, Kevin and Lisa Rutherford for providing us with the platform to be able to bring this show to you guys. Kevin and Lisa Rutherford, the entire Let's Truck team, of course, there are a litany of other podcasts that come on throughout during the week that you all should just check out. Uh, like I said, we had the pleasure of Kenny Long joining us tonight. His podcast, Trucking with Authority, his, it comes on every Tuesday uh, at 7 p.m. So definitely, definitely go to LessTruck.com 
and the full schedule is laid out for you there at Let'sTruck.com. Let's want to thank you, everyone, again, for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us tonight. If there's something that you missed, remember that this is a podcast. It is recorded. You can go back and download it, keep it in your archive, and listen to it over again, over and over again. We definitely welcome you in doing that. Help us spread the word about the podcast. Tell a friend. Hey, you know, if you haven't heard of uh, Rachel Lanes with Rico Muhammad, you might want to check that show out. Shoot the link out. We want to try to help grow the podcast. We want to try to help grow you, help grow your business, and help arm you and equip you and encourage you to continue the good fight. Uh, we don't want to just make it seem like it's all doom and gloom, but we definitely want to make sure that you are properly equipped out here to be able to uh, stand on your own feet along with the big boys out here so that you are not being, uh, you know, being scapegoated and, and ran amok in this industry. So until this time next week, ladies and gentlemen, we thank you again for taking time out of your busy schedule. Keep it in between the mustard and mayonnaise, as we always say. God bless you. Good night, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks again, Hank. You're welcome. <laughs>